I don't know. I, I may need all three boxes this morning. I thought we were forming a new singing group, Tom's Tunes. Huh? <laughs> okay, well, you all are very generous. In terms of welcome, let me just say, the first Sunday that we were here, we felt welcome. It was such a gracious moment and has continued for so many uh, years now. Uh, we're just so appreciative that we can be with you and learn from you and uh, share ministry together. Um, so thank you. I would like to, if I can do it, I'd like to read from our scripture this morning. We're coming um, to a lectionary text that is uh, quite familiar. It's Romans 12. This is one of the lectionary texts. I'll read just verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The other day I had an experience uh, which has haunted me a bit, and I want to share it with you this morning. Uh, it showed that my conduct is not always consistent with my call, and the call meaning uh, a call to live out our faith as uh, disciples of Christ, not necessarily called to be uh, in pastoral ministry. Um, and so I was going home from work, uh, driving down University Avenue. Many of you go that direction to get uh, home or to get uh, up here, coming up University Avenue. So I was driving down University Avenue, lots of traffic, more traffic than normal, uh, it felt like to me. And I never know quite which lane to be in to get down to the freeway the fastest. And so I was moving back and forth between lanes. I think the left lane is the fastest because uh, people just don't drive as much in the left lane, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, you can get through the lights faster, and so I was going down the left lane. But when you get to San Pablo, you have to decide when are you going to go over because you're going to want to get on the freeway entrance. And so I was going, and I had already cut in front of people a couple of times and back. And so I cut in front of somebody and then was quite happy in my position there as we were going through the light on, uh, on uh, the 6th Street. And so, uh, but for some reason, I was a bit irritated that day. And I'm not sure why the attitude I had was uh, so current in my way of acting right then. But I made a determination not to let anybody get in front of me. Uh, I had gotten in front of others, but n no more. Uh, okay, so, so I'm going, and I'm looking in the mirror. You can look in the, you know, the rear view mirror to see if people are going. You can look in the side rear view mirror. To, sometimes people put on their blinkers. Mostly they don't. I don't. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> because you're trying to get over, you know, and just sneak in there. But I was determined not to let anybody. So I was quite close to the car in front of me. And I was looking and looking. I looked up a little bit too slowly 
on this one and saw that the car in front of me had stopped and I slammed on my brakes and probably missed hitting the car in front of me by about half an inch. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? Um, nobody else was in the car and I embarrassed myself. <laughs> I mean, really, this is how I'm going to act? It was so unkind, it was so uh, selfish, if you want to put it in that category. It was so unchristian in terms of the attitude that I had going down university. My sense is that we all have those University Avenue experiences. It may not be driving, it may be something else, and we all are sometimes just not living the conduct that is consistent with the call of God on our life. And so what we want to do in our ethics especially, but in our life of Christian people, what we want to do is to follow Christ and follow the way of Christ. And what Paul does in this particular letter, the letter to the Romans, he has a fabulous phrase that he uses to encapsulate everything that he says. He, in, in chapter 1 verse 5, he says uh, he's here to create or to uh, produce the obedience of faith among the nations. The obedience of faith. And the obedience of faith could be translated obedience uh, that leads into faith. It could be obedience and faith are exactly the same. Or it can be the obedience which faith produces. I mean, you can actually translate it any of those ways. I like the middle one, but I think the third way is probably the best. The obedience that faith produces. Our faith is meant to produce the kind of obedience that will enable our call or our, our conduct to, excuse me, to be consistent with our call. Now, we're not the only ones who, who, who understand this. I mean, that, that's not a, a, only a Christian perspective. Epictetus was a, a Stoic philosopher. Uh, he was born a slave uh, in around 50 of the Common Era. He uh, gained his freedom and became a philosopher, a, a Stoic philosopher, exactly and um, talked, and then his, one of his disciples wrote down what he said. But listen to what he says in this particular uh, part of his, speak, of his speaking. Great is God. Great is God. That God has given us the faculty to comprehend these things, and these things are things like uh, uh, breathing when we're sleeping. I mean, we don't think about it. We just breathe when we're sleeping and a number of things like that. He says, God has given us the ability to comprehend these things and to follow the path of reason. What then? Since most of you have become blind, ought there not to be someone to fulfill this office for you and in behalf of all sing the hymn of praise to God? Why, what else can I, a lame old man, do but sing hymns to God? If indeed I were a nightingale, I should be singing as a nightingale. If I was a swan, as a swan. But as it is, I am a rational being. Therefore, I must be singing hymns of praise to God. This is my task. I do it and will not desert this post as long as it may be given me to fill it. And I exhort you to join me in this same song. The song of singing praise to God, of having integrity as we understand who God is to respond to God in a way that would be appropriate. Epictetus thinks that the reason that we do that is because we're rational human beings. 
Paul has, uh, I think, would probably agree, Paul wrote before Epictetus, Paul would probably agree that, yes, we are rational human beings, but that there is a deeper issue that calls us to sing praises to God, and that is the mercies of God. So we see here in this particular text, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by or through or in light of the mercies of God, dot, dot, dot. Well, what are the mercies of God? Well, if you look at the whole of Romans, if you look at the first uh, several chapters, 11 chapters actually, uh, you'll see that the mercies of God include the salvation of humankind. Even in the midst of our sinfulness, God's justification, God's sanctification, that is, uh, it, the, the way God will help us through the Holy Spirit continue to uh, be set apart for his work and for God's uh, care. And restoration. What you see is this fabulous really difficult actually, uh, three chapters, 9 to 11, that talk about uh, this renewed covenant, this covenant that God has made with Jews and Gentiles that they are now coming together and that there is hope for that relationship as well. So you see all of this. It's God's heart towards human beings. It's God's sensitive compassion. All of that is the mercy of God. Now what I would suggest and what I think Paul would agree with We'll have to wait and see on that one. But I think he would agree with that the mercies of God and that living in light of the mercies of God usher us into authentic humanity. In other words, the way that we are going to live authentically in our life is to acknowledge the creator and that we are the creation. Acknowledge that God is God and we are humans. Acknowledge that God's love and care and grace and mercy comes to all people. And we can enjoy living in that environment in the mercy of God. That's authentic, full humanity, humankind that we see in in this particular text. So, living out our authentic self. We do that because we believe in the mercy of God, because mercies of God, because we believe that God has uh, changed the world through Jesus Christ in light of what God, in light of God's love and care and grace. Now, in that sense, we live in the mercies of God from the past. That's the foundation. But we also live in the mercies of God from the future, the hope that we have in the future. But we, we say the Lord's Prayer, and we'll probably say it again this morning after our, our prayer uh, of the people this morning. And what we say is, our Father in the heavens, let your name be made holy, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And then we don't, I don't know why we don't translate it this way. As it is already happening in heaven so also here on earth. In other words, what we're appealing to, what we're praying for, is that what is already happening in heaven will now happen in the midst of our life and in the midst of our world. And so the mercies of God really come at us in both directions. They come at us from the foundation of what God has done in Christ, and they come at us from the future of what God is doing, and we let that future impinge on our life in the present. That's authentic humanity. So after Paul establishes that in light of the mercies of God, and because of our understanding of the context of that being love and grace and mercy and so forth, Paul then makes an appeal to the believers in Rome, an appeal to present our bodies 
as a sacrifice. And again, I think the better translation here is uh, we, we, we present our bodies as a sacrifice. The sacrifice is living and holy and well-pleasing to God. So we're now offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. That doesn't sound very modern. It doesn't sound really hopeful necessarily. But it is, I would translate it this way, it is the, the only sacrifice or the only thing God wants is the sacrifice of you. You, in other words, are the only sacrifice God wants. Um, God wants you completely. This isn't just in the, in the, this isn't just sarks the the word for flesh and blood. It's not just soul, the inner being. No, this is what I think Earl used to call problematic you, that that fullness of who you are, that one who is uh, complicated, who sometimes does the right thing and doesn't do the right thing at other times, and so forth. This is that complicated self that we now are offering to God as our sacrifice. And when you offer a sacrifice, you relinquish your right to it, right? You relinquish, you release your right to the sacrifice that you are making. It's now on the altar. It's a goat or it's a sheep or it's a, a grain or something. And that is now God's. Paul is suggesting that we offer ourselves as a living, holy, acceptable, or well-pleasing sacrifice to God and relinquish our own right to ourselves. I think, and I wonder, I guess, but I think that this was the issue with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had done a whole list of things and kept the law in, in multiple ways and had given things away. But the, what the rich young ruler couldn't quite do is sell everything, give it away, and give himself to following Jesus fully, totally, without exception. That's the call on our life. To present our own selves as a sacrifice to God, relinquishing our right to ourselves, if you want to put it in that category, and letting God be God and lead us and guide us and take us to where God wants us to be. Okay. So what do we do with this? So then Paul has two more commands. These are passive. They're both passive, but they're both present. Stop. Making, patterning your identity after the present age. Stop it, he says. And continually be renewing your mind um, after uh, the context of the will of God. Continue to be renewing your mind. Now, when we stop something, when we stop this behavior, we're stopping not just the externals, we're not just stopping things like, you know, how we dress in, uh, in you know, whatever. Um, how we, uh, those externals, what car we drive, where we live, those kind of things. What we're really doing is we are stopping basing our life on the values of the present age. Whatever that age is uh, before the eschatological age, the final end. We are stopping to embrace the values when they are inconsistent with the gospel, um, we're stopping that. So think of some of the buzz words or the buzz issues that are happening in our world today. What, what are the values that support such things as consumerism or militarism or nationalism or a fixation on money or wealth or status or somehow 
um, in the marketplace of ideas and in politics, we've, um, we've bought into the idea that we can be so angry with one another if they disagree with us in terms of politics or uh, other issues. And so what, what Paul says is stop it. Now, if we're going to stop it, then we need to know what the values of the kingdom are. And we see that the values of the kingdom of God are such things as self-sacrificing love for one another, serving one another, sharing what we have, treating each other with equal value, seeking peace and justice and mercy, and on and on and on it goes. There are significant values that we are embracing. And so if we stop the behavior that we are already in of taking our identity from the present age, and we begin to think about the future, uh, the kingdom ethics, and the kingdom of God, then we're beginning to move in a direction that Paul wants us to as a foundation, not only for our ethics, but for all of our life. So, we are looking then at what it means to present our minds by the renewing of our minds, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that we may discern what the will of God is, the good and the acceptable and the perfect. What does renewing our mind look like? Well, one of the things it looks like is a rebirth. This, I think, would be true at the beginning of coming to know Christ. There's a rebirth. There's a change that takes place. Another aspect of renewing our mind, I think Karl Barth talks about it, is repentance. I have, to, I have to repent, or had to repent, of my attitude in driving on University Avenue the other day because it was so out of line with what the call of God is. I think we have lots of those, I would say, incidental things in life, but there are big issues in life also. Listen to Karl Barth's words on repentance. Repentance is the primary ethical action upon which all secondary ethical conduct depends and by which it is illuminated. And so we are brought back to thought. Yes, repentance as the primary ethical action is the act of rethinking. This transformation of thought is the key to the problem of ethics, for it is the place where the turning about takes place by which people are directed to a new behavior. Repentance. And then I think we also have a refocus. And here's, what, here, here's the, the difficult one, it seems to me. Because when we're talking about transforming our minds or letting our minds be transformed, it's a passive, letting our minds be transformed, what we're really wondering is, do I have to change my mind on everything? Am I going to change the way I've thought all my life? Am I going to change what you know, my direction is and so forth? I don't think that's the primary issue. The primary issue of, of being transformed in the renewing of our minds is to become more and more gospel-oriented so that we can go to the heart of the gospel more and more fully as we see the issues that present themselves to us in our church and in our world. It's not about you need a certain uh, perspective now in changing your mind to a certain way. No, it's that we're all trying to get closer and more intimate with the, with the hard uh, center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, 
um, we will be transforming, or our minds will be uh, becoming transformed. My bias is that that takes place in the classes that you're in here at church, in the discussions you're in, in the small groups that you're in, in the worship space that we're in. All of that can take place. That should be the safest place you are at in all the week that you're here. Right here, right now. Because that's where we need to be formed after the likeness of Christ, with one another in the community of faith that will help us uh, understand how to open our mind so it can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that will change not only us, but the world. Well, I have a lot more to say. <laughs> um, it means all of our mind, right? Virginia Stem Owens wrote an article recent, or not recently, several uh, decades ago, on, on <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's recent, isn't it? <laughs> okay, okay, this is serious. <laughs> And what she did is she talked about that the church is really good at using the left brain, right? We can, we can look at the data, we can formulate uh, uh, statements of faith and so forth and so on, but we let our right brain atrophy so that the imagination of what God is doing is not nearly as significant as it could be. In fact, she references Charles um, Darwin, who when he was a young person said, I love music, I love singing, I love um, art, I love Shakespeare, all of that stuff. He, he really uh, was touched by it. Later, after amassing so much data and dealing with it all, and this is in his, bio, his autobiography, he said that, it no longer pleases me. and no longer brings me joy. None of that stuff. I've been dealing with data too much. So all that to say, the church needs to bring all of its mind in order to go deep into the gospel, in order that we might be letting our conduct uh, coincide with the call of God on our life. So in summary, the challenge of Christian ethics is to have our conduct be consistent with our call. If we do so, we will live out of the obedience of faith that Paul is talking about. And we will do so in the mercies of God, which bring us into authentic living, authentic human existence. And we understand that the reasonable service is to present our true selves to the living God as a sacrifice so that our minds might be renewed and we might stop patterning our life after the present age. So that even as we drive down University Avenue or whatever that is in your life, we will let our conduct be consistent with our call and will be blessed and a blessing to others along the way. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your grace, your mercies that come to us day and night through one another and through your word. Guide us to live consistent with the call that is placed on our life to be followers of Jesus Christ. Give us that courage and enable us to, do, to so live through your, the power of your Holy Spirit.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.